to the Azure Marketing Podcast. I'm Anthony Giuliano, and my guest this week is Stephen Salcedo. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I am great. Thanks right. for joining us. I know this is a busy time of year for you because by the time this comes out, you will have put together your famous holiday playlist. That is, that is correct? correct. That is right. So tell us about the origin of that. How'd you get started doing that, and what what's on the docket for this year's playlist? Yeah, it's funny. I can answer the first one in depth, and uh, well, I guess. By the time this comes out, it'll already be out. But uh, it really started as uh, as a last minute thing. It wasn't really planned. Yeah, uh, it was. This is my tenth year this year. Okay. And uh, so ten years ago, I was I was at Vera Bradley, and I mean this is retail, so yeah. it's the busiest time of the oh, year. Oh sure, right sure. And so everybody's working really hard and and just pulling late nights and just trying to get ready for Black Friday. I was on the e-commerce team at the time, okay. inside a digital e-commerce team. Yeah. Uh, so they're doing emails, websites, yeah. social media, copywriting, just all of this stuff. And that's just for web. Yeah. And, um, you know, everybody's just working really hard. I'm like, gosh, what can we do just to keep yeah. spirits yeah. going? No yeah. pun intended. Yeah, but keep spirits yeah, bright. Just, yeah. just keep everybody <laughs> motivated. Yeah. I was at home one night, and I, mean, I listened to a lot of music anyway, yeah. right? And so I was going through, like, all these holiday MP3s that I had. Lots of old, obscure, like, R&B, like, mm-hmm. stacks and stuff yeah. they don't play on the radio ever. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, man, this stuff is great. I wish, you know, I wish people can hear this. And yeah. I'm like, you know what? They can. I'm gonna do <laughs> I'm gonna do a holiday mix. And so I had, you know, that CDR is laying around. Yeah. Designed up a quick cover. I threw like 20 tracks on a yeah. on a CD and I left it on everybody's desk nice. uh, of of my team. Okay. And it was pretty well received. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the next year it's like, hey, you gonna do another one of those things, one of those mixtapes? I'm like, yeah, sure. So it became like a Kind of an obligation, yeah, tradition, yeah, type of thing. So, do you try to not duplicate songs? Is it a new list every year? Mm, All right, I've, I've not duplicated a song, okay. and that's that's I I don't intend to. All right. And I even get I even get really detailed into like, well, I had that artist last year, so I can't have that artist this year either. Okay, all right. And where it's evolved to, yeah, is for the last five or six of them, all of the music comes from records from yeah. my vinyl okay. collection. So I'm not I'm not just downloading stuff off. Spotify or YouTube or anything like that. Like all year, I'll be finding records, you know, online, wherever, getting those, digitizing those, and you put them all together and eventually it makes a mix. All right. That's that sounds like something to look forward to. And it reminds me so podcast Nick, Steve, remind me that when we get to the speed round, I want to come back to that with a question for you. If I forget, Try to remind me, and I'll try to remember, because we're going to come back to that. But we're not here to talk about the Christmas playlist. We're here to talk about your career, the organization you work for. So, Steve, tell us a little bit about growing up in Merrillville and what you were thinking about career-wise and what you did with that, because you you had an interesting college major. Was it graphic arts for journalism? Journalism graphics. Yeah. So tell us how you got into that field and what you decided to do from there. Yeah, I, I would say that my career path started long before my career did, and, mm-hmm. and and even into high school. I was always creating stuff. Yeah, like I didn't play sports, I didn't sing in the choir, I don't know how to play an instrument, and so when I look back, I think creating content was always that was my way of expressing and standing out in my sort of own competitive, you know, sport, whatever you want to call it. So I was always writing stories and you know, drawing stuff and making mixtapes, yep. recording records, and doing all this stuff. Yeah. Um, then when I got into high school, um, they had just finished a, a big expansion of, of Maryville High School, and they had installed a TV studio. Mm-hmm. So I got involved in that. Um, we did a weekly 10-minute news uh, program every Friday, okay. uh, like in, in the school, and uh, just really started getting into broadcasting. By my senior year, uh, I was the producer of that show, which okay. means I was kind of leading you know, the show and then all the people who worked on it. So it was kind of like some early soft management, yeah. team building type sure. skills. Sure, sure. Uh, but learning cameras and switchboards and editing and teleprompters and lighting and all that yeah. all that fun stuff. Uh, so from there, I'm like, all right, I want to get into telecommunications. Mm-hmm. So, you know, come college, I went to Ball State, majored mm-hmm. in, in TCOM. And, uh, you know, once I got there, I, it was weird because, you know, I knew I was in college for education, but mm-hmm. you also want to do your social college thing. Yeah, sure. And man, these people who were in TCOM, they were really competitive. They they lived at that TV studio. Oh, really? Like that's okay. all that's all they did. Okay. And I'm like, man, I don't I don't want to do that kind of commitment. <laughs> yeah. And then what I started to realize is that even 
even after you would graduate, like this is kind of foreshadowing what this career yeah. is going to be. When something happens on the news, like psh, you rest gotta, of the life goes, rest of your life goes on hold, and you've got to go. Yeah, I'm like, man, I don't. I, I wanted something more steady. Yeah, right. And so at the same time. Uh, my roommate at the time in college, who I also went to high school with, he was a year ahead of me. He was in the TCOM program. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were at Ball State and he said, you know, he's like, I'm going to teach you HTML. I'm like, all right. I'd only been on the internet for like three months at that yeah, point. Right? Yeah. We, I didn't have a computer growing. Yeah. And so I just jump right into internet browsing, mm-hmm. to build coding websites like yeah. right off the bat. Yep. And so from there, you know, learn Photoshop, from yeah. there, learned illust- uh, you know, InDesign, Illustrator started getting freelance gigs. Um, and the reason I majored in, I ended up changing my major from TCOM to journalism graphics in the middle of my sophomore year, which set me back a year. So I was there for five years. Okay. But at the time, there were no, there weren't digital design classes. Yeah. There weren't web design classes. Yeah. So everything's kind of self-taught. And so I just aligned myself with what I thought was uh, the best aligned with what I wanted to do, which was mm-hmm. graphics. So it's, you know, information hierarchy, typography, page layout. Yep. They were teaching us predominantly for newspapers. And at yeah. that time, even newspapers, everybody's like, oh, I hear newspapers are going to go away, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's kind of like this, this talk, this chatter. Yeah. I just applied all of that knowledge to, to web. Yeah, and, and HTML was pretty easy to learn. I, I remember I had, still to this day, the thickest book I ever owned was an HTML guide. Um, I think it took up like half a bookshelf on its own. But it was pretty much, you read you know, what was in the manual and you did it. The websites weren't very attractive at the time, but it right. was pretty easy to program in that way. Right. And I was the same way. I had not a lot of background in it and just decided, seems like this is where stuff is going. I want to try this out. Yeah. And there's, it, it was a continual learning process. Like yep. I said, for me, there was no formal training, at least during my Ball State years. And yep. it was just kind of trial by error. Yeah. And I was just getting some freelance jobs. I got an on-campus job. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just keep getting better. And I was getting sort of creative fulfillment. Even though I was, I was doing, you know, I was doing all of it. You're doing the coding. You're doing the layouts in Photoshop. And my fulfillment was that that final piece yeah. And, yeah. You, and you start building your portfolio and like that's what was keeping me motivated. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that I enjoyed about it, I don't know if this was true in your experience, is if there was if there was an error, unlike the print world where there if there's an error, it's kind of terminal. It's out there and there's not much you can do about it unless you reprint it. Whereas with the web, you see something wrong, you fix it and there's a lot of satisfaction in saying, "Oh, that's now better and maybe right. not a lot of people know you, about it." You are there's no commitment. You yeah. can always change yeah. it. What the what the challenge was is, you know, it was correct so long as you were looking in the browsers that it was rendering correctly in. <laughs> yeah. Because it yeah. might look good in yeah. this browser, but you pull up Internet Explorer and it's a mess. Yeah. You know? So yeah. it was challenging. The challenge was learning all of those little bits of code that work over here, but you have to hack it to work over here. And I always thought that was fun. Yeah. So so you're doing that sort of learning as you go. What do you do then in terms of your next move after Ball State? Where do you go from there? So after Ball State, it was it was funny. We were um it was my my senior, second senior year, my fifth year, and they had a, you know, the journalism building was, I don't know, two years old at that mm-hmm. time. And they had a big open house. And so like my parents came down yeah. and when we were there, um, you know, they were there touring the building with me. And one of my professors came up, met my parents, you know, mm-hmm. we were having small talk and they said, oh, I thought of you, there's this digital design program, study abroad in Denmark. And we think, we think you'd be good to do it. You should really look into it. I'm like, oh, okay. We step outside my, the building. My parents are like, you're doing this. Like you're going. <laughs> so they were more and, enthusiastic about it than you. Yeah. Were. I was like, and eh, you know, they're not, they're, they're not really into travel. Yeah. You know, my mom's never been on a plane. Oh, this really? Day. Really? And so they're okay. shipping me off to Europe now. Oh, wow. To learn digital design. So why were they so enthusiastic? Was it just, they saw an opportunity for you or did they want to get rid of you for a few I, months? <laughs> no, I don't think it was. I, I, I think it was the opportunity, yeah. you know, yeah. I, you know, for me having kids now, you always want them to do yeah, sure, better. Sure. Than I would do the same for my son. Right? I would so, say, run, don't walk, go take advantage right. of that. Yeah. And I, I think they put it in high regard yeah. that it was a, a, a professor ah, at a university okay. who said, you should really do this. They're like, all right, you're not done yet. Yeah. You're going to go five and a half years yeah. now. Yeah. So... You know, went off to Europe, went to Denmark, and you had you had never been to that part of the world before. No, and okay. even now, other than going on like 
my honeymoon and, yeah. and, and things like that. That's sure. the most, yeah, that's the only time I've been to Europe, okay. but I was able to go to Denmark, Sweden, and uh, Finland oh, I was wow. there for about two and a half months. Yeah. And that was the first formal training in web. So we sit down and the guy gets up there and he starts like doing HTML. I'm like, oh, I know that, yeah. you know, I've never, you know, huh. the first time I'd ever had any formal training. Oh, great. wow. Okay. So you're there for a few months then. Mm-hmm. And then what's next? Uh, after that, you know, it was funny because since I I had walked, I had done the graduation mm-hmm. ceremony and everything, and but this was still uh, counting toward a credit yeah. somehow. It's been okay. a long time. I okay. can't remember. But um, yeah. at the same time while I was there, I'm looking for jobs, mm-hmm. you know, I'm searching and uh, trying to land something for when, I, for when I get back. And so I got back and I still didn't have anything. So I moved back in with, with them and I was there uh, with them for about, oh, another two months. I got back in August, and it wasn't until October that I got uh, uh, my first job offer. Okay. And and where do you work? What's your first job out of college? So my first job out of college, I moved back to Muncie, mm-hmm. and uh, I was working at this, um, uh, it was a print shop, but they also offered uh, graphic design services okay. and, and web design services. So I was their web designer. Okay. So when somebody came in for a brochure or a folder or billboards, they did all kind of mm-hmm. graphic design things. Uh, they would upsell them okay. on a website. All right. So I was managing all these different websites, designing okay. different things for different companies every day, which was really exciting because it was always something new to work oh, sure. on. Sure. I've, I've never been in an agency like Asher, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't consider them an agency, but it was a really great way to just work with different people, yeah. understand their businesses, yeah. and uh, design a website, publish a website that matched whatever their business needs were. Yeah, I think there's there's obviously advantages both ways. One of the things I've liked about working here the last 17 years is if something gets tedious, either because it's difficult and I, I can't move the rock up the hill any faster, or if it's just something I've been working on for a long time, turn to the right and there's something completely different. It right. sounds like the same thing there. Well, that's the advantage of working in an agency, yeah. right? The disadvantage is, is, you know, at some point you run out of billable hours for that client <laughs> yeah. and you're like, man, there's so much other, yeah. other things I would want to keep doing on this website in my, you know, in yeah. that case. And, and you kind of just had to stop. Yeah. Whereas when you work for a, a, a brand, mm-hmm. a single brand, like you just keep working at it and you, you keep learning and you apply those. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's a trade-off. Yeah. So, so the first job you're in Muncie working at the print shop, doing website design, where, where do you go next and why do you make that change? Yeah. I, I would say both from a professional and a personal social standpoint. So living in Muncie, as a professional is much different than living in Muncie <laughs> yeah. as a student, yeah. right? And so you know, I got back down there and just kept on doing the same mm-hmm. things that mm-hmm. students did. Yeah. That, that was that what was, you knew. That was yeah. what you knew, and that, yeah. was, that was the life. And I was still working, and, and I had freelance gigs, yeah. and I was, again, just trying to build my portfolio mm-hmm. and get as much experience under my belt as possible. And during that time, I was building the portfolio pretty quick. Yeah, But, you know, it was a small company, and I knew I wanted to do something else at some mm-hmm. point and probably in a different uh, city. And so there was a coworker of mine um, who's you know still a friend now. He, he, he was also looking for mm-hmm. other work and he, but he was really actively looking. Yeah. You know, he was scouring resumes sure. and whatever the job sites were at the time. And so he comes in one day to me and he's like, hey, I, I found this job when I was looking for, for, you know, for him. And he said, I, it, I'm not qualified, but maybe you're interested in it. And it was for a web designer position at Vera Bradley. Okay. And I'm thinking, I don't even know what's Vera. Yeah, I was like, going to ask you, what did you know? That was a law firm. <laughs> I had no idea. Obviously, yeah. it's not my demographic. Yeah, sure. And I hadn't been in Fort Wayne, and they, had, they weren't as big as they were yeah. now. Sure. You know? So I, didn't, I had no clue. Yeah. And I said, well, I've never been to Fort Wayne. Like, sure, mm-hmm. I'll try it out. Yeah. So I go up, and I did an interview, and... um Ended up getting a job at Vera Bradley, and the company back then was very different than it is now. So, so. was it privately held at that time? It's privately held. Yeah, a um, lot, lot less people. Mm-hmm. Their their sales model was through independent retail stores. Okay, they were not direct cons- to consumer. Okay. at all at that point. Mm-hmm. But the reason they they were hiring for my position is because it was part of their growth strategy mm-hmm. to go direct con- to consumer, mm-hmm. including the launch of their first ever direct-to-consumer e-commerce website. Oh, wow. So okay. they needed somebody who had web, web experience to manage all the emails, yeah. to build the website, you know, build the, um, the, the shopping cart and checkout experience. And that's, yeah, you know, that's not just, that was, that was working with a, 
you know, a, a team of developers, yeah. external partners to, sure. to get that done. Sure, but that's a pretty big leap. I mean, you're working for what sounds like a small print shop, and now you're working for this company that has aspirations to sell its products probably around the world. How, was that intimidating? Did you have, you know, any any challenges going into it? Uh, not for me. For me, it was the next logical step. Okay. And it wasn't so much that I had never worked on an e-commerce mm-hmm. site before and I'd mm-hmm. never built a checkout. Yeah. I built websites that were easy to use. Mm-hmm. Like my whole thing was around usability and user ex- experience, yeah. like getting from point A to point B yeah. with as few clicks as pro- possible, yeah. get you, clean navigations, all of that stuff. And I think at the time, my resume, my portfolio had a lot of examples in that. Yeah. And you know, fortunately, I landed the job. Yeah, well, that's a pretty good place to start is make it easy on the user. And as it turns out in 2021, that's a pretty good strategy. Right. So so you're at Vera for how long? And then where do you go from there? So I was at Vera for, gosh, 14 years. Oh, wow. I, okay. I, I stayed there until 2019. And it was that time that my career, personal life, everything evolved the most, mm-hmm. right? And so um, started out as a web designer by myself with, with my manager at the time. You know, two years later, started building a, a team. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that team just kept growing. Yep. Um, you know, through that time, the company went public. Mm-hmm. Um, we were really into, into retail at that point, started yep. Opening up stores and the website just keeps getting bigger. So that means Black Friday, Cyber Monday yep. starts becoming a thing yeah. for us. And it's like, oh my gosh, all of a sudden overnight we're this yeah. big retail brand, yeah. right? Yeah. And so at some point, probably around 2015, um, I was um, I was approached to be um, with the position of director of marketing, mm-hmm. which took me out of the web world, mm-hmm. um, I was still a little involved sure. in it, but certainly took took me out of any hands-on creative mm-hmm. that I was doing. So it's interesting, and something you really have to think about. Like, man, this is what I went to school for. Like, I learned, I did all this stuff and freelance work and building my portfolio, and now it's like I'm not even doing creative anymore. Yeah. Like, yeah. something going to be missing? Yeah, that. sure. But it was an interesting challenge because I think you know I firmly believe that you have to have a mix of art and science. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this this director of marketing role is more on the strategy side. Mm-hmm. And and it, and that works hand in hand with the with the with the visual and the sure. and the design. So, sure. you know, that that was just giving me the opportunity to look at, at at all of our projects and initiatives from a strategic standpoint while still working with a really good team of designers. Sure. It's not like I was completely isolated yeah. from that. We all work together. Sure. So I, you know, at that point and even earlier on when you know, you first start, I first start building my team. It's important. You start delegating stuff to them. You mm-hmm. can't keep everything on your own. Yeah, for sure. So I'd already started getting used to handing stuff off mm-hmm. to people and they do really good work and you kind of live vicariously through that, Yeah, you know, because yeah. you were part of that process. Well, and ideally you're having more influence because you're able to direct projects that are going to have an impact on 18 members instead of just doing the work where you kind of you know, the only person who gets gets to do the work. Uh, at least that's how I justify things when I delegate, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, my first manager at Vera, he said something that I didn't understand at the time, and I didn't understand it because I wasn't a manager. Mm-hmm. You know, I was still young in my career. I started there at 25 years old, Yeah. right? So yeah. whatever, whatever level of maturity 25-year-old guys have, that's where I was, and I was still learning. But he said, you know, you always want to hire people who are smarter than you. Mm-hmm. And I never understood that at the time because in my mind, I'm like, well, if I hire somebody smarter than me, that that's putting me in a position or a risk of, you know, I'm going to be let go or yeah. whatever. But you are only as good as your team. That's right. Yeah. Right. And so you have to have people who are better than you, who will challenge you more mm-hmm. and make everybody stronger as a unit. 100%. Because yeah. if, if you hire people who are, you know, only as smart as you or or lower that's only that's only keep you've hit your ceiling yeah these people are going to challenge you to get better yeah it's good for your ego but it's not good for your career long term and you know that's one of the things that i say i do here is i assemble a really smart team and stay out of their way there's a lot of truth in that um and i think that is it's it's a shift in your career where i think you say hey i'm as interested in helping other people learn and grow as i am in my own growth that's you know a a different facet and it sounds like you got there during those 14 years yeah 
Yeah. yeah. So where do you go after Vera and what happens next? So after Vera, uh, I left there. You know, my position was eliminated mm-hmm. during a, a reorg, yep. uh, you know, which was, which was fine. Yeah. And one of the things that— Well, I remember, if you don't mind me interjecting for a second, I remember you posted pretty eloquently because what I find is people are either, you know, they're, they're either silent when that happens or— you can see the bitterness in in anything they share. With you, it was very magnanimous. It was, hey, this was a great experience, no hard feelings. And I was like, oh, he really means that. This is, mm-hmm. he's being honest and he's being positive. There's a lot to be learned from that. It was honest and it was positive. And, you know, I, and, and, and I don't mind talking about it because, um, you know, it's one of those things where something that you fear the most happening in your career, mm-hmm. when it ends up happening, sometimes it becomes the best thing that could happen. Yeah, yeah. And I was with the company for a really long time mm-hmm. and I needed to change. And even when I was there, I knew I wanted to do something yeah. else. But it's like, you're, you know, it's like after being there for so long, how, how do you even yeah. start? You yeah. get in that, oh, this is all I know. Yeah. I'm going to have to learn everything new. Like just starting a new place and, 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 and having them have to tell you where the bathrooms are. Yeah. Where do I get an eraser? Yeah. When can I what take if, lunch? What if they don't like me? Yeah. Just learning all yeah. those things. Like if, if my lunch is an hour and five minutes, am I going to get written yeah. up? Like you have a sense of sure. comfort and, sure. and, and just, you know, yeah. where, where you work mm-hmm. now. And so, uh, it ended up being, you know, really positive for me. Um, I had, I had been through many of those reorgs mm-hmm. before, and so, you know, by the time it, it happened, you know, for me, I kind of knew what happens yeah, ahead of a reorg. Sure. I knew a reorg was, was, was coming up, yeah. uh, but I didn't know anything about it. I'm like, normally I'm filled in on this kind of <laughs> stuff. So, so there, was, there was some clues sure, for me. Sure. And, uh, you know, when, by, by the time it happened, I had already been thinking about it for two months. Mm-hmm. And so I went through all the stages mm-hmm. of whatever. Yeah. And by the time it happened, you know, and, and they, they call me in to have mm-hmm. that discussion with me. I was like, all right, let's go, you know, because mm-hmm. I've got, I'm, I'm yeah. I just want to move on to the next yeah. thing now. But, you know, when I when I wrote the post, and I, I wanted to announce it. I mean, this is a major thing in oh, my sure. career, and I didn't want to hide behind yeah, it. Yeah, sure. But the company was great. If it wasn't great, I wouldn't have stayed there for 14 sure. years, sure. right? Anybody's going to get burned out after, you know, anywhere they are after yeah. that long. But everything happened when I was there. I got married, bought a house, started a family, bought a second house. How many vehicles did we lease during that time? We were able to go on vacations, Mm -hmm. learned a lot there, had some great leaders, worked with a lot of great people. A lot of them I still talk to today. I learned a lot from those people, Mm -hmm. even the ones I hired. Yeah. How can I say anything yeah, bad about yeah, that? Yeah, for sure. Right. So yeah. at that point, I just you know I'm I'm kind of open like that, mm-hmm. you know, and I I just I just wanted to acknowledge what happened. I wanted everybody to know that this is you know this is the change in my career now, and for me it it provided some closure after yeah. that long oh, being sure. somewhere. Sure. And and now it was time to focus on the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. So what what is the next thing? Where do you go from there? So let's see. I it, you know, man, just thinking back, and that was only two and a half yeah, years ago. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, I posted about it. I let everybody know that I was, you know, the, of what was happening with my role. And the very, I think that was on a Thursday night. Mm-hmm. And on Friday, I already had emails coming in mm-hmm. of people who, you know, saw that yeah. on LinkedIn yeah. and said, hey, I'd, I'd love to talk to you. Mm-hmm. You know, so there were other, uh, some other companies in town. Yeah. By Monday, I was, me- had, you know, meeting people for yeah. lunch and kind of yeah. just starting to network. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it was kind of, this, this happened right before uh, Memorial Day mm-hmm. in 2019. Mm-hmm. And I had like the best June that I've had <laughs> since a high school yeah. summer. Yeah. You know, it was great. Yeah. Spent time with my kids, yeah. just... You know, hung out around the house. We just yeah. did stuff. You know, you're going to take some time off. That's a pretty good time. To take enjoying time off. the yeah. Su- yeah, it was great. And um, but at the same time, I still i I get a little nervous if 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 for me and a little anxious if I don't know what's coming next, yeah. especially with my career. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to just waste away my severance period and all of that and wait till the very end and then start worrying about. It. I'm like, I need to start worrying about it right now. Mm-hmm. I just want something lined up. And so. One of my former colleagues from Vera, I wouldn't say he was, a, he was a colleague, but we didn't work on the same team. He was the CEO at Matilda Jane at the mm-hmm. time. And so he reached out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, we started having conversations. It was between Matilda Jane and another similar size company yeah. in town. Um, and it ended up working better 
for me to accept the offer from Matilda Jane. Mm-hmm. So I started working there uh, right after July 4th. So I was only off for like six weeks yeah. or so. Yeah. So started working at Matilda Jane and, um, you know, they, they were, it, it, it was great because they were doing marketing. Like we were doing marketing. They're not a retail company. Mm-hmm. They have a different business model, mm-hmm. but they were doing a lot of the same things. Yeah. And I also had the opportunity to start building and nurturing a, a creative marketing team, mm-hmm. which was great. Takes me right back to my roots. Yep. Their team wasn't as big as Vera. So I was back in doing some emails, and yeah. going back to my roots and pulling out some of those skills. And, and it was great. Um, what I quickly realized is that the same stuff that was burning me out at Vera for that long, Matilda Jane, this is nothing bad about them, but they had some of those same attributes just based on the kind of company yeah. that they are. Like it's Retail, it's selling product. Yeah, um, I thought it would be a really easy transition because, as far as them both being brands that are that are very colorful, mm. all about self-expression, yep. all about capturing the emotion of women and little girls and mm. all them. Like this is going to be this is going to be smooth. Right? Yeah, but it was it was burning me out. Yeah, and and I feel I'm very honest about feeling very bad about that because I was at Vera for 14 years. I was at Matilda Jane for about three months. Yeah, well, sometimes you don't know until you're actually in it. You don't know, and, yeah. I, and, and I, I felt like I did them a disservice. My goal was not to go in anywhere. My goal sure. is to, you know, where am I going to spend the next 14 sure. years? That's, that's my goal. Sure. But what had happened is when I was there, Howard Bailey reached out to me. Yeah. And this is the second time they had reached out to me. The first time they reached out to me, I was still at Vera Bradley. Okay. And we had done some interviews, and, and at that time, we just weren't in the same Mm-hmm. You know, we just were in the same space. Yeah. Um, so they had reached out to me when I was at Matilda Jane. I was, I was, I, we were so busy at Matilda Jane. There was so much going on. They had a new website they were trying to launch mm-hmm. and they, you know, it was a little behind. There were some other business things going on, had a lot of meetings. And at first when, when Howard Bailey was contacting me, I was like, it was almost like they were bothering me because I had so much to do and I had yeah. already been through there before. So I'm like, why are they, why are they contacting me again? I'm gonna go through interviews and yeah. then, you know, nothing's gonna happen. But I was like, all right, I'll, I'll do the interview. Yeah. And I've already told Howard Bailey this. I'm like, man, I'm lucky I have this job yeah. because if it was me, I wouldn't have hired me. Because <laughs> when I went to that interview, yeah. I didn't need a job. Mm-hmm. Like I had just started at Matilda Jane yeah. and I was just getting immersed there. Yeah. Like I'm team Matilda Jane right yeah. now or I'm team yeah. wherever I'm yeah. working and now I've got somebody else coming in. I'm yeah. like, man, you know, I don't have time for this. I got to go back <laughs> and figure out this website or whatever yeah. it so is. So why did you say yes to the interview if if that's what was in your mind? Well, they were they were pretty persistent. Okay. You know, I right. went to the first interview yeah. and I didn't prepare for it. Mm-hmm. You know, none of that. I And it was a great conversation, yeah. but we left the interview. I'm like, all right, well, one of the reasons I, I, it probably went well is you were pretty, you know, nothing to I, lose. I yeah. didn't, yeah, I, I didn't have anything to lose. And so yeah. I didn't put a lot of pressure on myself. Yeah. I didn't do a lot of, of research. Mm-hmm. And I left that interview. And in my mind, I was like, well, I didn't do a good job. They're not going to call me anymore. Great. Let me get back over here because yeah. I've got this meeting I got to get to in yeah. like t- 10 minutes. Like two days later, they con- you know, I'm getting an email again. I'm like, what? <laughs> what happened? I thought I blew this. Yeah, thing. what do you I know, have what? to do to lose this? Right, yeah. exactly. Like an idiot, right? Yeah. And then, you know, and and so I all right, they wanted to set up a second interview. So I set up a second interview. Uh and I, I forgot what the timing was, but you know, the second interview was the next week. And I get in back at work on Monday and, and at Matilda Jane, something happened. I'm like, I don't, I don't have time for this interview. Like, you know, I wasn't really confident. I called them up and I or I emailed them and I said, I'm gonna withdraw my Mm-hmm. application. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I'm going to withdraw. They wrote back, Casey wrote back. He's the founder mm-hmm. of the company. He said, I understand. Can you please just come in for one discussion? Hmm. Just, and yeah. if, if you decide it's not right for you, that's fine. Uh, uh, all right. Yeah. So in between me, that, and me going in there, finally something hit me like, Hey idiot, this is your ticket out of Retail yeah. and product marketing, knocking, and again, door, yeah. nothing wrong with retail <laughs> and product marketing. But I've been doing it for a long yeah. time. It might not be for me anymore. I, I get bored. I want to do something different. So finally, I had the realization: like, go do the interview. It's like you have the devil and the whatever <laughs> angel on your yeah. shoulder. They were fighting. Yeah. They were like, go do the interview. Yeah. So I went and did the interview. I had a. I, I feel like I had a better positive approach to it. 
I thankfully they were patient enough with me during that whole yeah. you know scenario and wasn't just like this guy's not interested forget it. Yeah. And they made me an offer in in that interview. Oh wow. Right there. Wow. So which was great. So I you know I thought about it and probably the next day I accepted the offer and wow. started there like 2 weeks later. All right. So so tell us about Howard Bailey Financial. How do you describe the organization? It's a financial advisory practice, is that correct? Yes, with a focus on retirement planning strategies. Okay. And how many people at the practice and and what all what do all those folks do? Sure. So we have uh, about 30 people yep. over two locations. We have three people up in Mishawaka. Okay. We have a satellite office there. In our home office, we have, you know, in the high 20s or, you know, right around 30 people. So we have, um, we have a team of financial advisors. Uh, they have service advisors who support them. Mm-hmm. We have a marketing staff, an uh, operations staff, and also a front office staff. Okay. So you mentioned that Casey is the founder. Where's the name come from? Howard Bailey? Yes. That name comes from his two grandfathers. Ah, okay. I always thought there was a guy, kind of like you thought there was a person named Vera Bradley and it was a law firm. I thought there was a person named Howard Bailey. No, it's Howard Weed and Ralph Bailey. And what's interesting is Vera Bradley had the same thing. Yeah, yeah. People are like, ah. oh, what, what does Vera do? Vera Bradley was a real person. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we get Howard as well. Okay. So who's Howard? <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's two people. Yeah, there are people who in the past have called and asked to speak to Mr. Asher, and that's when you know they know nothing about yeah. us. So, yeah. Sales call. That's right. <laughs> so um, your area, your the the area that you, you have an operations role, you also have a marketing role. How many people on your team? On my team is about eight people between the two groups. So I manage the marketing team yep. as well as our front office team. We call them the first impressions team okay. because they're responsible for fielding all the phone calls mm-hmm. and greeting people when they come in. We place a high emphasis on experience, yeah. client experience, and just anybody who's coming in who's not a client yeah. yet. They're in charge of making that experience world class. Yeah, so it sounds like there's some things you learned in the retail world that you're applying here to customer service. Absolutely, there's yeah. a there's a huge and and my background obviously is not in customer service. Mm-hmm. My background is in usability, user experience, mm-hmm. and this is just a physical. Yeah, sure. You know, uh, sure extension of that. And as far as that, how that relates to Vera Bradley, they were really big on if you're a customer and you come into the store how you're greeted, mm-hmm. how you're shown around yep. the store, how you're being offered assistance in finding what you're looking for and what you need. A lot of that ties into what our front office first impressions team does. Yeah, and you also, you've mentioned before we hit record that the founder of the company is pretty marketing savvy himself. Absolutely. Correct? And I would assume that's a good thing that that helps you in your work. It does. I mean, he's a great collaborator. I yeah. meet with him every week. You know, he's busy doing a lot of other things, and he really spearheads a lot of the financial mm-hmm. marketing that we do. So we have a TV show, radio show, a podcast, and we're starting to get really heavy into YouTube yeah. videos, like yeah. videos produced just for YouTube. Yeah. He's coming up with all of the content. Mm-hmm. I don't know financial. Sure. You know, that's one of the things I told them coming in. I'm like, I came from patterns yeah, and yeah. you know whimsical yeah. stuff. How how am I going to fit in with content? He's got all the content. Yeah, and it's a heavy regulated industry, so there's you know things you can't do that you probably were able to do in, in other places. That was a big learning curve for me coming in. Yeah. We are we're regulated through the SEC. Yeah, and uh, depending on how big you are and how fast you grow, you can get audited by the SEC. You have to turnover marketing material yep. and all this. That doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. Sure. It's just a check and a balance to make sure you're in compliance. But it makes your lead time longer because there's another step in the process where somebody has to to check the work. Right. And we do have a compliance officer yep. who if I'm in doubt on anything, I mean, just to be safe, send everything oh, to sure. the compliance sure. officer. He does all the proofing on yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Okay. So you're producing a lot of content and it is a service. So how do you make that interesting? How do you make something that, you know, some people might say, well, it's financial services. How interesting can it be? How do you bring that to life? That's an interesting question. And I think that's one of the things, again, when I was coming into this Mm -hmm. industry, how does that fit me? Mm -hmm. How does that fit me? Because I'm coming from places that have hundreds and thousands of followers on Instagram. Yeah. And we're a very yeah. visual self-expression yeah. brand. Yeah, Coming over here, I think at the time I started, they had 100 on Instagram. Mm-hmm. 
And that's just not what our clients do. Now there's an opportunity for that. And I think that's what we're going to be doing in terms of um, brand building and yep. some of our future plans. But really what our goals are, are, you know, one of our goals is, we're, you know, one of our core values is, is helping people. Mm-hmm. We want to help as many people as possible. And that translates into client acquisition. Yeah. So for me, it was just a learning opportunity to do different um, sources of, of lead generation that mm. I've not done in yeah. my past. It's very different from retail marketing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So what are some of the things you're spending? You mentioned content creation, of course. What are some of the other things that are on your mind, on your plate, keeping you up at night, making you excited, all those things? Yeah, I try not to make anything keep me up at night. <laughs> I think that's one. I yeah. think that's one been one of the big benefits of, of where I am now in terms of work-life balance. Yeah. You know, if I was still in retail as we record this podcast, mm-hmm. I'd be up at night because Black Friday's coming mm-hmm. up, and that just yeah. consumes having nightmares the, about the website just, crashing. Yeah, yeah, it just consumes your Q4. Yeah. And and fortunately, in my new role, you know, we Black Friday's not a huge thing yeah. in retirement. Sure, <laughs> sure, um, sure. But yeah, it's uh, it's different. We're working on events and. Um, you know, again, YouTube. I think I think there's a there's a um, a huge opportunity for us. The vision of of our company is helping people. That leads to growth. Mm-hmm. They they've had you know even I can't take credit for this. They were already on a growth trajectory mm-hmm. when I came in. Yeah. Part of my role is to keep that growth trajectory consistent and growing. Right after I started was when COVID hit. Yeah. So you know we had to deal with that, but you know we're we're looking at expanding into different into new markets. Mm-hmm. You know we're already in Mishawaka, so what's the next? Yeah. What's the next Mishawaka? Um, getting really consistent about internally produced YouTube video that yep. delivers value about mm-hmm. various financial and retirement planning topics. Um, I'm really excited. We continue to grow my team. Yep. That's. That's well, been one of the most fun aspects of my role. Yeah, and that seems uh, unusual, and I mean that as a positive. You know, I I have some. I've bumped up against a lot of financial advisory practices. You know, there's one that I met with recently, and they were talking about getting some outside help, something they'd never done. And as it turns out, they're like, "Well, Asher's too big for us. We just need you know someone part time." There's other folks I hear from who the person who's doing marketing is also not just managing the front of the house, but is the front of the house. And when you have some extra time, post on social media. It's so it's an afterthought for a lot of practices, but for Howard Bailey, it seems like it is one of the you know largest areas. Why is that? Why do you look at it differently, and and why do they make those investments? Yeah, marketing for Howard Bailey is on the forefront, and I would attribute that to be because Casey was that person, yeah, who was doing it all himself. Yep, he was running appointments. Mm-hmm. Sometimes these were mobile appointments. Him going to people's houses and meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing the marketing, yeah. he was his own compliance officer. Yeah. Doing the TV show and the radio, and those are the, those are things when you're when you when you have a uh, hour long radio show every week and a thirty minute TV show, that consumes a lot of your time. Time you a could lot be of his with time clients. with clients or just doing yeah. other things. Mm-hmm. And you know, eventually, again, like us all, like I did, and where I was, you just get start to get burned yeah. out on that. Yeah, stuff. for sure. And so they had a when I when I entered the organization they had a a marketing coordinator who was really good just like a workhorse she she's mm-hmm. great and she's a really strong copywriter and she she really gets his voice mm-hmm. so she can help out with yeah. kind of ghost doing some scripts for him and, yeah. and helping him out on that front but really she was doing everything and and you're just you're just getting the tasks done mm-hmm. and she really didn't have time to think strategically yeah, about sure. stuff so that's that's where my role comes into play if we want to open new locations or if or, you know whatever it is that we want to do that we're thinking about it from a, a strategy standpoint we're not just jumping in and moving things around and saying, all right, how do we do this? Like, let's have a plan. You know why let's, you're doing what you're doing instead of just checking that's off right. the to-do list. And we have goals and, you know, it's it's run like a project. Yeah. You know, small organizations, and I would and 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 I I say small because compared to what I'm used to working mm-hmm. in, yeah, sure. it's a small organization. But our organization as compared to other financial institutions is a pretty good size. Oh, yeah, sure. But for me, from what I that's why I refer to it as small. But what but where I am now. One of the huge benefits is, you know, I report directly in to Casey. Mm-hmm. And so anything that we want to do, we don't have to go through yeah. a whole committee of approvals. Yeah. We just go and do it. Yeah. We do a lot of testing and a lot of learning. If it doesn't work, we modify it or we don't do it again. And yeah. what does work, we just keep yeah. making it better. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, and that, you know, that's one of the advantages of being smaller is you can pivot on a dime and try stuff. And in today's environment, if it doesn't work, try something else. That was, that was so refreshing for me coming yeah. in. Yeah. That was really one of the motivators for me. It's like, all right, what am I going to work on today? Yeah, yeah. And especially during COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, every, I think everybody was trying to figure it out during COVID. Mm-hmm. It certainly impacted our business model and how we were yeah. networking with clients, bringing in new leads and all of that. Uh you know, the timing for me couldn't have been better because I had just started mm-hmm. and I didn't know any different anyway. Like I was still learning the business. And so, hey, well, throw COVID in there and, <laughs> yeah, you it's know. just another speed bump. Yeah. And then now is any time, this is better than any <laughs> other time. Let's just do it now. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's let's talk about the um, the the speed round of the show, if you will, where we synthesize some of the things we talked about. You've been really transparent about your career path, which I appreciate. What's the one best piece of advice you think you've learned about building a successful career that you think is worth worth sharing? The one thing I would say is I would encourage everybody to do something outside of their day-to-day job that brings them some level of fulfillment Mm -hmm. or inspiration. And for me, thinking back to when I was doing more creative and design work, I always had some kind of a side project going. Mm -hmm. And that side project doesn't have to be a side hustle that's making you money. It could just be something that you're doing because it's creatively fulfilling Mm -hmm. for you. So when you're working you know, again, this is from the, through the lens of, of a creative or a graphic designer or whatever, Whenever you're working for an agency or a, a brand or whatever, like you can do what you want to do, but there you have to work within the constraints yeah. of that brand. For sure. So I encourage everybody to do something where you have your own brand, mm-hmm. not big brand, but you make yeah. the final call yeah. and you keep working on it until you're creatively fulfilled. And then you could put it out there for everybody to see. Yeah. So I was doing freelance work. I would make up projects for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I just do stuff on the side just because I was inspired by something or whatever. Yeah. That's where this holiday mixtape comes yeah. in. And that's important because for me, it's not only putting 20 Christmas songs on a CD. I get to design an album cover every yeah, year. Yeah. And there's something fulfilling to me about that. All right, how's this one going to look different than the last one? Well, in my experience is when you do that, a lot of times you learn things that help you in the other areas of your life. I mean, I it's a cliche, but some of my best ideas, not that I have very many good ideas, but some of my best ideas are when I'm going for a run or going for a walk. And the problem that's been churning for sometimes weeks, all of a sudden I have a solution when I stop thinking about it. Right. That's yeah. exactly right. Um, there was something I was going to say about that. Now I can't. Well, you, you have to go do something else and then it'll come back to you. I know what it is. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was really important for me as my career began to transition out of the creative role mm-hmm. and into more of a strategy yeah. role. It's like, I'll make that transition in my career, but you can never take that creative, what I see, you know, my vision, like that's, that's me. I'm yeah. always going to have that. And it's very true that, if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah, for sure. So I was just looking at a Photoshop file today mm-hmm. that a freelancer sent over to us. And um, one of the people on my team was trying to figure out how to uh, isolate something. And there was created in, in art boards. Mm-hmm. And we came across something. I'm like, shoot, I don't know how to do that. Yeah, like, yeah. this is the new way that the new generation, because sure. I'm getting older, is setting up their files. Yeah. I have no clue. Yeah. You know, so even now I have to go back and try to learn. I'm like, well, there's Google. Let's Google that and see how we can fix that. For sure. But at least you have the baseline understanding, you know where to start. Right. Yeah. But whatever, you know, whatever it is, it doesn't even, it doesn't have to be a a, a creative thing. Mm -hmm. If volunteering and giving back or working for some philanthropy or just doing some pro bono marketing services or just providing some consulting on the side to somebody, just like, Keep your gears going because as great as brands are, as great as your employer is, there's always, like for me, there was always something more that I wanted to do where I was able to own it. I didn't have to get it approved through somebody. It it achieved my vision at the end of the day. I just kept working on it until it, it achieved that vision. Um, you always have to have something that you own completely. Yeah, Yeah. so don't be one-dimensional. That's really good advice. All right, if you were going to define what makes Howard Bailey different, how would you describe it to someone concisely if they said, why you and not someone else? So for me going in, interviewing there, Mm -hmm. and at first being very reluctant about it, 
Um, one of the things I noticed very quickly is that Howard Bailey was very different and stood apart as compared to other financial institutions that I had either visited or done business with. There is a completely different vibe at Howard Bailey. Mm -hmm. So when I first moved to Fort Wayne, you know, you got to move all your stuff. You got to move your bank yep. and all that stuff. Yeah. So I opened up a bank account and then started getting some savings and okay, let's figure out how to invest mm -hmm. this. And so I went to the same bank, yeah. which is a, a chain. Yeah. Uh, went to the same bank and all right, you know, what, what can you do? What can we, you know, from a finance, from a financial planning investment standpoint. So they hooked me up with this advisor who was, who was based at that bank, um, opened up a whatever Roth IRA or mm -hmm. something like that. All right, we'll meet in a year. Great. A year comes, somebody else calls me. Mm -hmm. Hey, my name is so-and-so. I just wanted to let you know that your previous yeah. uh, advisor is no longer, but yeah. I'm going to be working with you. Can you come in and we could catch up? Sure. I come in. Very nice person, mm -hmm. but she had a very different strategy than mm -hmm. the first guy. Yeah. We should take this out of the Roth and we should do yeah. this and we should, and you should put more money. I'm like, uh, uh, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Let's do that. Great. We'll meet in a year. Third year, same thing. Another <laughs> yeah. person calls me. By the fourth time that that yeah. happened, I didn't even call back. Yeah. So I'm very like, transactional. It was very yeah. transactional, number one. Mm -hmm. And number two, when I walk into those kinds of places, uh, I'm not greeted mm -hmm. the way I'm greeted when I walk into Howard Bailey. Mm -hmm. We have a greeting process. You know, whoever's behind the desk gets up, comes around the desk, greets you, offers you coffee, mm -hmm. offers or a beverage, offers you a mm -hmm. snack if we have them, walks you back to your conference room. Is there anything I could get for you? You know, make some small. How yeah. was your vacation? All sure. of that. I never really received that where yeah. I was doing my sure. my banking. I was never invited to a client event. Yeah, I never received a here's an update from the leader kind of mm -hmm. newsletter. None of that. A Christmas card. Yeah. We really give, uh, we strive to give a world-class experience, you know, okay. for both clients and people who are just curious about the company um, and also the people who work there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, it's a really, it's a great team collaboration. Um, you know, so I was, I remember when I was, when I was interviewing and I was looking at the staff pages on the website and you really start, you see all those people's faces and you start to think, can I see myself working mm -hmm. with them? Yeah. And you start to develop like, oh, this person's probably like that. Oh, yeah. he yeah. looks like he'd be whatever. Yeah. And looks can be deceiving. Sure. One of the first things we did after I got in, let's get all new photos in mm -hmm. here because the lighting wasn't yeah. great. I'm like, you guys look a lot better <laughs> yeah. Yeah. than you do sure. in your photos. So sure. it's like lighten all of that up. Yeah. We're all, you know, we're all about creating a really great experience. And that's something that, that I've never had from any financial institution. Yeah. Okay. All right. Here's where I come back to the question that I thought the two of you are going to have to remember for me, but it turns out my 52-year-old mind is not as addled as I thought it was. So I remembered it. So the last question, this is a curveball, but you have, maybe Nick, we can move this one up if we need to. So it comes out right around the holidays. If that's not already the plan, you have... 10 years of experience in putting together a holiday mix. What do you think is the best underappreciated holiday song or holiday album that you recommend? Oh, my God! Not one of the obvious ones, but dig a little deeper. Man, do you know how many songs I go through every year? It's insane. Yeah. And I think that surprises a lot of people, and that's the motivation of the mix, right? Yeah. Because all most people hear is what is on these radio stations that flip over November yep. and December just yep. play the same and stuff. And it's Mariah Carey, every other song. Over and over. Yeah. My, my goal, yeah. and this is why it's so hard to pick one. Yeah. I can, I can I, so I'll tell you this. Yeah. I tend to gravitate towards stuff that's like R&B and funk from like the 60s okay. and 70s. Right. So the Ray Charles Christmas album. That's good. Pretty good, yeah. But a lot of people still know that. And yes. that is a good front to back album. Yes. But why is it that you don't hear Ray Charles on these stations? Yeah. You do hear Mariah Carey. And that's great too. If that's yeah. what you like, that's fine. My goal is to find something, even if it's 40 years old, yeah. that somebody says, man, I had no idea that was yeah. out there. My goal is to take people who rightfully so may say, I hate Christmas music because they hear the same stuff. All yeah. That's what they know is on the radio. Yeah. I make a Christmas mixtape for people who hate Christmas music. Okay. Listen to this. All right. Then get back with me yeah. and tell me what your favorite song was on this track. All right. So that said... What do you recommend? What's what's one that you think people should listen to if they haven't given it a, a shot before? Could be an album, could be a song. 
J.D. McPherson. Oh, I love J.D. McPherson. He's got an album called Socks that That's came out right. two years ago. Okay. And it's this real retro yeah. vibe. But it's, you know, Christmas music is, you know, a lot of what they play on the radio is also stuff that's been around for decades. Yeah. There was a lot of really good new stuff coming out right yeah. now. So from a full album standpoint, yeah. I would say J.D. McPherson. But there are also um, also Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. Okay, she had right. she has a really great you know okay. soul Christmas album. All right. But what happens is, and again, I can make a whole podcast out of this alone. But what happens with these Christmas albums yeah. is a lot of times you have artists and record labels. The artist won't make a full album; they'll just put out a single, yeah, or maybe a A, a and B side, or maybe this Christmas song's a B side on something else, yeah. So it's not just about the album. Sometimes you'll—that's mostly what I have. Okay, is finding all these forty fives of. It was a throwaway. It was a throwaway. Yeah, but everybody was hoping. So here's what happens when when it, when it comes to like royalties and these artists getting yeah. paid off of music. What what you want is you want your song to be the next. All I want for Christmas is you. Why? Because yeah. they play that every, every single year. year. And every time and they the play that song, fall. guess who's getting paid? That's right. Yeah. Right. So everybody tries to do something like that, something that's going to catch on. And, 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 but all the stations play are the, the same things over and over. So my goal, even though I don't have a massive following, yeah. my goal is just to bring some joy to somebody somewhere through this album. Somebody will say, man, I never heard that song before, but I, I really love it. All right. Well, that's great. So, J.D. McPherson, Socks, Sharon Jones, and the Dep... And the Dap Kings. Dap Kings. Okay, what's the name of that one? That's that's the group, and the album is... I put you on the spot. That was unfair. Uh, I picture... It's fine. No, I picture... I could picture the album cover. It's her and the Dap Kings all in the front, and it's right. green. Uh, it's... it's uh, uh, is it... I'm not even going to say is I'm going to get it wrong. That's fine. We can it add up. it. We can add it to the show notes. Have you ever heard Nick Lowe's Christmas album? I don't think that I have. It's actually not bad. It's kind of mellow. And you know what? Surprisingly good Chris Isaac's Christmas album. Okay. So Nick Lowe, little... is it on vinyl? It probably is. Because one of my prerequisites yeah. is that, and that gets harder and harder every year. And it gets more expensive every year. You know what's definitely on vinyl, and you probably have already heard it a million times, it might be mainstream for you, is um, Phil Spector's Christmas album. Yeah. Do you have that on vinyl? Of course. I have the original one, and they reissued it for Record Store Day on some, like, color vinyl or something. Have you heard, I know you're a Rolling Stones fan. Yes. The Keith Richards run, Rudolph run. No. That was a B-side to uh, a 45. So never on any album. I'll have to look that up. But that's that's a good track. All right. Well, everyone, this has been the holiday special of the Asher Marketing Podcast, starring your favorite Santa Claus, Steve Salcido. Steven, thank you for being here with us. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for being here with us. And thanks for everyone who took the opportunity to listen to this episode. We'll be back next time with another great guest. And we hope you'll join us then. 